Hey everyone, welcome to episode 46 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So the big news of the past week was a high-profile vulnerability in Exim, so we'll go into a bit of detail about that. Plus, we've also got updates for the kernel, which is for all the different releases, and IRSSI, Samba, uh, Systemd, and a few others that we're going to go into detail as well. Plus, Joe and I are going to have a chat about uh, some recent uh, reports of hacks against uh, Supermicro BMCs uh, done remotely via uh, remote USB devices, which is some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, all right, uh, so let's get into it. So first up, we'll have a look at this XM vulnerability. So this was discovered uh, by Qualsys and they reported it uh, to Upstream Exim and actually in the Upstream commit that fixes this, they've included part of their email discussion as well uh, that they had with Qualsys. So if you want to know more details in particular kind of how this was discussed and how Qualsys uh, detailed their, their vulnerability, uh, that is great to check out. But I'm going to try and do a bit of a wrap up of it now. Uh, so in this case, uh, if you are running an Exim mail server and you have TLS enabled, you are vulnerable to this uh, where it was essentially a remote root exploit boy. So what would happen uh, to achieve that is that uh, while doing TLS negotiation, uh, XM would parse the server name indication headers, so the SNI headers, and would try to handle different escaped character sequences in that. Uh, it would do this by looking through the list of characters, and if it found a backslash to indicate you know, the next character was escaped, it would then go and try to escape that next character and interpret it. Uh, this would then get called by other functions, in particular one called string unprinting, which would uh, be used to translate the escaped characters into their actual form so it would perhaps escape a backslash b with the actual bell uh, terminal character uh, and it would do this by you know looking for that backslash and then it would uh, read the next character and overwrite in, in the original string say with what it was meant to be you know control b or backslash b what it, uh, the actual terminal bell character and so you can imagine uh, what happened was if the very last character in the string was a backslash it would then assume that there was extra characters that could follow that string uh, and that would that would contain the actual uh, character to be escaped uh, and therefore you can imagine that it would then overwrite uh, memory if it was going to go and interpret beyond that. So you had an initial out-of-bounds read that could then be leveraged into an out-of-bounds write when it went to translate that into a, you know, the actual uh, non-escaped character. And they were able to leverage that then to into a remote root exploit because the part of the code that handles this was running as root and you know, they could include essentially whatever content they wanted in that, that SNI header to then enable uh, the code execution. Uh, so the fix for this was pretty simple. It was just that if it uh, found a backslash null and the or a backslash and the next character was null, so the end of string, it would just return. So the kind of thing it should have done in the first place to be defensively correct code. So that's been fixed for Exim in Xenial, Bionic, and Disco, and as well for the development release EO as well. Uh, this got a lot of press coverage, and I've got links to a bunch of the different uh, press coverage articles in the show notes. Plus, I've also got a link to the entry for this CVE in the Ubuntu CVE tracker, because there we have details on how you can mitigate this. So uh, if for whatever reason you haven't been able to update to these updated packages, you actually can mitigate it in uh, the configuration for Exim by setting up a couple uh, access control list rules which would deny connections that contain a trailing backslash in the last character of, you know, say, the SNI field. And so, as I say, that's in, the, in our uh, CVE tracker as well. All right, uh, next up, we have updates for the kernel. 
So uh, there's a lot of different CVEs that have been fixed by the kernel team uh, in the last uh, week or so for the different kernels. And so I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna go into all of these in detail. I'll just try and give a brief overview. Uh, we have updates for uh, the kernel package in Disco, which is the uh, 5.0 kernel. And this is also the hardware enablement kernel in Bionic. Uh, and uh, so here we've got a bunch of different uh, medium priority issues, which were uh, an infinite loop in the uh, vert.io network driver. This would then allow a uh, VM uh, guest to cause a denial of service on the host by stalling uh, the vhostnet kernel thread. Uh, there's also a couple issues in the uh, floppy driver uh, IO control handlers, in particular a divide by zero and a separate one in integer overflow, which would lead to an out of bounds read. Uh, so both of these could be used to cause a denial of service uh, on, say, the host if you're using QMU because it creates a floppy device by default. Or if you actually have a floppy disk, you could have you know, a local user potentially create uh, a denial of service on the uh, host kernel. There was also an issue for that was specific to PowerPC, uh, which was a denial of service if a user calls a SIG return with a crafted signal stack frame. So a SIG return is a system call used to clean up after a signal handler. And so if you had a uh, specially crafted signal stack frame that was essentially invalid, uh, the kernel wasn't validating that. And so you would end up with a memory exception and a system crash. Uh, this would require transactional memory to be disabled though. So uh, that's one way to potentially uh, mitigate this is to make sure that is enabled if you are a PowerPC system. Uh, and the last one that was fixed for this kernel was uh, an issue in the randomization of IP ID values. So in IP packets, there's this ID field that is used for defragmentation of IP packets and particularly for connectionless protocols so that uh, you can uh, essentially avoid being tracked. And it's meant to be random across uh, a combination of source and destination addresses and protocols being used. And the idea there is that, uh, you know, if, you, if if that is assigned randomly, then uh, someone observing that traffic can't necessarily uh, track that connection. But if an attacker was able to observe traffic to multiple hosts, they were potentially able to infer the hashing key that was used to generate these. And that was because there was insufficient entry being used uh, in the first place. Uh, what was being used was a, an address of a structure in the kernel, so uh, a pointer, and that was then being hashed uh, with a weak uh, hashing algorithm, so it wasn't ending up with very much randomness, and so you could potentially infer that and therefore uh, determine what were uh, similar hashing values used across different connections to be able to track them all back to the same uh, source device. So uh, that was fixed basically to use uh, an, uh, an actual random value for the base of the hash and to use a better hashing algorithm. Uh, we also have updates for the kernel in uh, Bionic, which is the Xenial hardware enablement kernel too. So in this case, there were 28 different CVEs that were fixed. I'm not going to go into detail on all of them. Five of them were kind of negligible, pri negligible priority. And these are the things that are, say, not enabled by default in the Ubuntu kernel, but you could potentially enable them on your own system. Uh, 11 were low priority issues. And again, these are things that are very unlikely to occur, uh, but are kind of enabled by default. So things like say, uh, you would have to unload a module uh, just after uh, the proc system had failed to initialize, which is the kind of thing that you know is almost impossible to happen. Uh, and there were 12 medium priority ones as well. And so a bunch of these were ones that I just talked about, um, but some separate ones where there was uh, uh, an out of bounds read in uh, the debug functions of QLogic QEDI iSCSI uh, initiator driver. So this would allow uh, someone from user space to read essentially kernel memory and therefore potentially defeat K uh, kernel address space layout randomization. Uh, there was also uh, a second CVE that was related to the IP uh, ID value randomization. So 
as I said before, it wasn't random enough because it was using a weak hash algorithm and it also didn't have enough entropy. So uh, the reason it didn't have enough entropy was because it was using uh, an address of a structure in the kernel, which would be random uh, or would be randomized due to uh, KASLR, kernel address space layout randomization. But because you are using that value, if you can actually infer it uh, as an attacker, which was what the whole point of the attack was, you could actually infer what that address was and you could then use that to defeat uh, kernel address space layout randomization because you now know what an actual value is and you can uh, figure out what all the other uh, offsets were. Uh, and so this was fixed by not using that structure address, but by actually using uh, a proper uh, random value that was obtained you know, from a source of real randomness. Uh, there was also uh, a fix for uh, Intel Wi-Fi driver, uh, their tunnel direct, direct link setup. So this is where it allows uh, devices on the same Wi-Fi network to talk to each other without having to say go through an access point. Uh, there was a flaw there that would allow one peer to cause another one to disconnect and uh, so it's a denial of service. And there was also an infinite loop in the uh, CFS scheduler. So again, another denial of service. If you want to know more on the vulnerabilities I haven't mentioned, so the low and uh, negligible priority ones, I've got links to all of those in the show notes. You can go and look up on the Ubuntu CVE tracker. Uh, we also had an update for the kernel in Xenial itself. Uh, again, a bunch of medium priority things here that I have uh, mentioned all previously for the other kernels. Uh, so those are things like the infinite loop in the vertio net driver, uh, the divide by zero and the integer overflow on the floppy drivers, uh, the PowerPC denial of service on SIG return. Uh, the IP ID randomization, or not being randomized, should I say. And there's also a use after free in the block layer that was fixed uh, that could occur under particular failure conditions. Uh, we also updated uh, the AWS kernel uh, for Disco. So if you are running a, uh, an Ubuntu uh, 1904 Disco Dingo instance on AWS, this would apply to you. And so these I've covered all previously. Uh, there were a few actually that I covered in episode 43 as well. So an out of bounds write uh, in Marvel Wi-Fi drivers and a uh, race, a P-Trace race that uh, I think was uh, Jan Horn uh, discovered as well. And uh, a couple others too that were discussed back in episode 43. So if you want more details on that, uh, please check out the show notes. We also updated the standard uh, AWS kernel for Xenial and Bionic as well. And this had 61 different CVEs that we fixed. So yeah, as you can imagine, I'm not going to go into detail on those, but they are all linked to in the show notes if you want to find out more. So yeah, a huge week of uh, kernel updates. Uh, thanks very much to the kernel team for that. Uh, we also have updates for policy kit. So if you are running uh, precise extended security maintenance and you're an extended security maintenance customer, uh, this one is relevant to you. Uh, back in episode 27, I talked about how our policy could, could get confused uh, and could essentially, you could use uh, process ID reuse to confuse it so that it would authorize a process that wasn't actually authorized for something. And the fix for this had two parts. One was in the kernel to ensure that uh, you can't race the kernel on process ID assignment and essentially to force it to uh, reuse the process ID. And the second one was in policy kit itself. to not only just check a process ID, but to also check uh, the user ID and the start time of the process. And so those three in combination could be used to uniquely identify a process. So that's been fixed for policy kit in precise extended security maintenance. We have an update for IRSSI. If you are an IRSSI user uh, running uh, Ubuntu Disco Dingo 19.10, this one's for you. So there was a use after free there if uh, your IRC server would send two cap commands and the cap command is used by the server and uh, the IRC client to negotiate different capabilities. So perhaps whether uh, you support Sazzle for authentication or something like that. And so if it sent two of those, you could eventually get a use after free uh, in IRSSI. So that's been fixed. 
We also had an update for Samba also in uh, Disco Dingo. Uh, one CVE uh, that was meeting priority. This was where uh, a possible directory share could be escaped by unauthenticated users. And so what that means is that you might share, I don't know, slash serve slash, I don't know, Samba. And uh, as an unauthenticated user, you could force that then actually to expose files outside of that. Uh, this would be limited by the underlying uh, file system permissions and how that relates to the Samba process. But uh, yeah, you would need to also have explicitly enabled wide links and not be using Unix extensions or to also have set allow insecure wide links as well in your Samba configuration for this actually to be applicable to you. But yeah, if you had done that, you are now safe on, uh, on Disco for Samba. Next up, we've got systemd. So one CVE here for Bionic and Disco. Uh, systemd resolvedd, the um, DNS component of systemd, would fail to properly set up access controls on its dbus server socket. And so an unprivileged user then was able to execute dbus, method, DBUS methods uh, for systemd resolvedd that it should only be allowed by privileged users. And so an unprivileged user could do things like change your system DNS resolver settings as a result. Uh, so not a great one. But yeah, that's been fixed for systemd. Uh, just a couple more to go. We've got an update for Firefox. So this is uh, usual Firefox uh, update tracking. They fixed uh, 17 different CVEs in this and we've updated Firefox for Xenial, Bionic and Disco for that. And this is the latest upstream Firefox 69 release. And I've got a link to uh, the details on some of those CVEs in the show notes if you'd like more details. And finally, a quick update uh, for uh, NPM stream as well. Uh, that is for uh, Bionic and Disco. And that takes us to the end of this week's roundup of uh, CVEs and vulnerabilities for other supported releases. Next up, I've got an interview uh, with Joe where he and I discussed uh, this recent hack on uh, Supermicro BMCs that was done through remote USB devices. Hey Alex, thanks for having me back on this week. No worries, Joe. It's always good to talk to you. <laughs> so this week we're going to talk about um, the USB Anywhere hack that was uh, talked about on the Hacker News. This was an issue that affected the base management console, BMC, on Supermicro devices. Um, for folks who aren't familiar, if you're, um, if you're, have been in this for, if you've been in this for a long time and maybe use Sun stuff, they had the um, LOM Lysalt Management or ILOM Integrated or Internet, I don't know, Integrated Lysalt Management. Um, this is your remote access console or if you use a Dell, um, the iDRAC, but this is Supermicro. And so on Supermicro, they've got this ability to remotely add a or remotely connect a USB device. And this is done so you can connect a um, so you can connect into the IPMI um, and you can install a new operating system by connecting a virtual ISO. And then you can do your install. You mount it um, from your drive and I'm oh, sorry, from your local laptop. And there you go. Um, so if I wanted to install Ubuntu on my Supermicro server... I could use this to mount the ISO and just go remotely. Yeah. You connect to the web console um, and then you collect, you know, click a little button that says, you know, what file you're going to use as a remote mount point and go from there. And it awesome. makes it awesome. Yeah. So you have a, you have some machines in a data center um, and you, you don't want to go in there with a crash cart. You want to do it remotely. It saves you so much effort. Um, however, it seems there's a problem. In the hack listing, it said, or I'll say the vulnerability listing, um, it lists uh, a, a couple different exploit vectors. One was default credentials, which I kind of think is not really something, because if you have default credentials, you can just connect into the IPMI and do whatever you want. So that doesn't really count. Um, then the other one was um, 
uh, clear text. So somewhere along the lines, you're, you could sniff traffic um, and get those credentials. Uh, hopefully, if you're using um, IPMI, this is on your a separate admin network in your corporate VLAN. Uh, I'm sorry, cor- corporate network. Um, so somebody compromising a hop along there and sniffing for traffic would be pretty hard. Um, and then last, it was weak authentication negotiated between the client and the IPMI. Um, so you could snoop these credentials, and then you could remotely attach over port um, 623 on TCP um, a, U- a USB device. This could be an ISO that could be used to install malware. It could also be, this was an interesting vector, which I didn't think of, a USB keyboard. So you could connect a keyboard and then start randomly typing, trying to compromise the box somehow. I think that'd be a pretty hard attack, (laughs) but I'm still, I'm still, still think that's pretty cool, right? Um, Yeah. So, okay, all these things are bad. Um, But I have to be honest, have you ever seen any sort of, you know, IPMI or, or IDRAC or ILOM or whatever that was really secure enough to be on the public internet? No. This is, uh, we, we talk about this stuff a lot, don't we, really, Joe? That uh, your, um, the stuff that you use every day internal to your, your, your internal systems really shouldn't be out there on the internet. You know, we have a lot of cloud services that we use that are on the internet, and that's fine because they are built uh, to be robust and to be mm-hmm. secure usually um, from the ground up, whereas mm-hmm. systems like this, they weren't designed to be out in public to be able to be you know, randomly attacked. They're kind of assuming they've got some, I guess, perimeter protection. Yeah, at your point, yeah, the cloud was designed around this. You connect to your console in AWS and then make your changes. That console isn't exposed to the outside world. So it's a, it's a, different, yeah. it's a whole different scenario. Um, I thought it was interesting. They found 47,000 servers listening on the public internet on 623, which I imagine they just used Shodan or they did a big end map or something like that. Um, that, that, that surprises me. But you always hear about things being on the public internet that you never would think were there. Um, and this could be maybe like small businesses that are paying, a, a paying someone to drop this to, you know, server in their, in their closet somewhere. And maybe they leave that open so that person they're paying you know probably somebody's kid can connect to it from home and and do fixes i don't know or i've also seen really small consulting uh, like it outsourcing companies you know do stuff like that you know somebody who graduated from the geek squad um do stuff like that just, they just don't know better um yeah and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is a lot of that where it's you know a single server that a company is using that they don't even know how to manage themselves like you said they've outsourced all of that mm-hmm. And it is probably purposely left um, quite open so that it can be remotely managed easily by whoever set it up. But they haven't then considered that this is then opening up quite a huge attack vector to their customer who they you know, really have a responsibility to. Yeah, but that's kind of interesting, great, because you can buy like a Cisco um, uh, ASA um, or yeah, an ASA. This is Cisco called ASA. It's Adaptive Security Appliance. That replaced the PICs. That's their firewall. Um, you can buy an ASA for like $400, which has a firewall license built in if you just want to use a um, point-and-click tool to add you know, a VPN. So I imagine there's some sort of corporate gateway in front of these small places, right? That either for their Wi-Fi or something. So you could buy one of these devices, drop it in front, configure a VPN, and your outsourcing company could still securely manage the remote um, configuration of these devices. So... I, you know, it kind of comes back to what we've harped on and what I think all of security is. It's just that layered approach, right? In the security team, we don't just 
stop when we when we patch one package. We're like, okay, awesome. System D secure. That means the whole box is, right? We don't do that. We keep looking. We keep looking at patches. We keep doing improvements um, to the kernel. We do. Uh, we ship UFW, right? We don't just take one approach, and we hope that you as our as our valued listeners and, and users don't do the um, don't do that either. You know, you use that layered security approach. Yeah, definitely. I say that every week now. I should stop. I got to come up with more ways to say layered security, defense in depth. Defense in um, depth. Yeah. Something about a moat it's, and castle gates, something like that. <laughs> it's like an onion. Every layer you peel back makes you cry more. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just like an ogre. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's the, the other thing that we were just chatting about was um, today it was um, it was it was released that XKCD's forums were compromised, and we were kind of laughing about that, right? Because it's just a forum, and forums get compromised, and they had like five hundred thousand users whose passwords got their sh- the hash of their password got exposed. Um, I don't know how it was hashed. I'm not sure what the what what the hack was. Um, but you know, it, it's par for the course. It happens, and that's why I hope everybody's using some sort of password stash where you've got a different password for every site you're going to. There's no password reuse. So the only thing that could have been compromised would have been that site. And now I think they reset all the passwords anyhow, so that shouldn't be an issue anymore. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's something that um, I guess I, I don't know, even a few years ago, I hadn't been using a password stash. And it's uh, blasphemy. In the last, I know, but in the <laughs> last couple of years, I, uh, I've got really into using... Uh, one password i assume i can say the name of uh, a particular pass. one yeah and it's uh, yeah i like it it's uh, they have uh, extensions for firefox and chrome and you know you can integrate it in almost every uh, online account login and it's uh, encrypted back in uh, the cloud so that it's across all my devices and i don't have to think about it and i can have it automatically generate passwords yeah so but whether it's that or it's LastPass or it's like you said keypass or something you should be essentially outsourcing your password management you shouldn't be trying to use your brain or um some a other way of, of trying to do that yeah <laughs> well even a piece uh, maybe a piece of paper is still better right someone has to at least get physical access to it and you to be able to compromise that so yeah, if it's people actually pretty great. <laughs> rather than just yeah reusing the same password everywhere if you have to have different passwords to everything and write them down to me that's still a much better approach uh, but ideally you yeah. use a tool to you know do the heavy lifting for you yeah, you tell us you because, you know, we kind of laugh out a piece of paper and it does. It's interesting because it's really hard to hack a piece of paper. The problem is yeah. with a piece of paper, you tend to use a password scheme or reuse it or something that's simpler than like, you know, yeah. with, with my password stash. It's like, you know, a random length that's always greater than 25. And yeah. um, and so I've, I couldn't I wouldn't be able to type that in. Um it's not unreasonable to use a piece of paper, but it's, you know, KeePass is much better. Although, did you ever yeah. work somewhere where you had to, um, uh, where you wrote down passwords and stored them in a safe? I did, yes. I used to work, uh, some, I used to work in uh, the Department of Defense here in Australia, and a lot of things had to be kept in saves and similar things. So, yeah. Yeah, but we those were passwords that then wouldn't get, you know, you wouldn't be cycling passwords usually. You, that password would be fixed. You know, they weren't like, you know, 90-day, you know, um, mm-hmm. update your password every 90 days or whatever, that kind of yeah, thing. We did that for a yeah. um, for the passphrase for website certificates where we put the, we we 
we the requesting sir request sir yeah we'd put that on a floppy and put the floppy along with the password in an envelope inside the fireproof safe inside the locked data center which was inside of a access controlled building with actual armed guards <laughs> so yep. i figured that one was probably pretty safe but the password was just yeah. password with a zero and an at sign so nobody would awesome. guess that <laughs> okay awesome well um thanks for listening again this week and Keep on, keep on doing cool stuff at Linux. Thanks again for that, Joe. Uh, fantastic talking to you as always. All right, uh, that takes us to the end of this week's show. Uh, to let everyone know, next week, uh, the Ubuntu security team and lots of the other engineering teams at Canonical that work on Ubuntu are uh, having another uh, all-in sprint. And so the whole team will be getting together this time. Uh, I hope to be able to do a special episode then with uh, most of the team or other members of the team. We'll see who I can organize. Uh, and yes, I hope to bring you guys some uh, awesome content from that uh, for the upcoming week's episodes. Okay, so as usual, if you want to get in contact with the team in the meantime, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network and I would urge you to come along and say hello. Or if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can find us at ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, apologies this one was a bit later this week uh, there was a lot of things to get through in preparing uh, the notes and just a lot of work uh, this week so yeah but I hope uh, as I say to bring some special content uh, for the next few weeks that we record after this upcoming sprint uh, but remember until then keep calm and enable automated upgrades and I'll speak to you soon bye